0: Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. A man in jail on charges of violent crimes against his wife was bailed out by a non-profit organization, only to attack his wife once again immediately upon being released. This charity then went under fire shortly after, sparking national debate. Today's story is about a man named Samuel Lee Scott, age 54, and his wife, Marcia Johnson, who was the same age, a couple living out in St. Louis, Missouri. The marriage was not a good one, to put it lightly, as Scott was not the best guy in the world. He had a long rap sheet with both convictions for drug-related crimes and assault-related crimes dating all the way back to the 1990s. Scott would often put hands on his wife. On January 6th of 2019, his treatment of his wife hit its worst levels yet. According to court documents, he struck Marsha in the right side of her face, causing lingering pain in her ear and cheekbone. This time, he even revealed to her that he was mulling around the idea of ending her life, telling her, I might as well finish what I started since you are going to contact the police." And contact the police she did. Marsha did end up telling the cops what had happened, but it was sometime after the incident. From then on, Scott was wanted for assault in the fourth degree, which was only a misdemeanor. On April 5th of that year, the circuit court issued a warrant for Scott's arrest after they determined that he was likely a danger to the public. Scott was caught, arrested, and charged the next day with that fourth-degree misdemeanor domestic assault charge in on $5,000 bail. Once he was in custody, the police started drafting up an ex-part order of protection, which would prevent him from going within 300 feet of his wife or entering her home. This was when the story had quite a twist. Just four days later, on April 9th, Scott's bail was posted by a charity, the Bail Project, which is a national social justice based nonprofit organization. They aim to pay the bail for people who aren't financially capable of paying it themselves. Their mission is, as they put it, to combat racial and economic disparities in the bail system. According to the group's website, The Bail Project is an unprecedented effort to combat mass incarceration at the front end of the system. We pay bail for people in need, reuniting families, and restoring the presumption of innocence. St. Louis was one of the primary target locations for the organization, having bailed out roughly about 1,300 people since it started in the area back in 2018. And unfortunately, Scott would be one of the defendants to be bailed out. Scott was served with the protection order the day he was released, being told not to go anywhere near his wife. But, only 45 minutes after he was released, Scott went straight to the apartment they shared on the 3800 block of Wisconsin Avenue. At 7.45pm, Scott entered the home and proceeded to violently assault his wife, only to leave her lying unconscious inside the home, covered in blood, afterwards. A little less than four hours later, a friend came over to check on Marcia, finding the home unlocked. She came in to find her friend unconscious on the floor with obvious injuries all over her. Seeing the blood coming from her head, she realized how bad the situation truly was. Marcia had a broken eye socket, several broken ribs, and was covered in bruises all over her entire body. That friend rushed Marcia out to the hospital where she remained in an unconscious state. Police were there by 11pm, noting that the woman had been beaten nearly to death. Marcia remained in a coma for days. During this period, her daughter started a GoFundMe page, hoping to gather some funds to pay for future treatment that her mother was most certainly going to need, writing, My mother, Marsha Johnson, has suffered a traumatic, life-threatening event from the result of domestic abuse. She is in a comatose state and fighting for her life. I hate to ask, but me and my sister need the help of family and friends and anyone whom is able to help her. However, despite high hopes for some sort of recovery, Marsha passed away five days later. It was noted that she had died from blunt force trauma. Marsha Johnson's death almost immediately brought attention to the bail project and similar groups that post bail for defendants who can't pay themselves. Two days after Marsha's death, the circuit attorney's office stated that they had charged Scott with first-degree murder in relation to the beating. Scott admitted almost immediately to having struck her that night. This time, though, he was held on a much, much higher $1 million bail. The Bail Project, now coming under fire, decided to make a statement about Marsh's death. The executive director of the project, Robin Steinberg, said that the whole organization was deeply saddened, but wasn't at fault in relation to the death. Steinberg said, No one could have predicted this tragedy. It's important to remember that had he been wealthy enough to afford his bail or bonded out by a commercial bail bond agency, he would have been free pretrial as well. In times like this, we must come together for this family and keep sight of the need to transform the larger systems that create poverty, racism, and violence, including the pre-trial bail system. Following the death, many news organizations reached out to the organization for comment, and many journalists gave their two cents on the idea of posting bail for low-income individuals simply for the sake of posting their bail. Many journalists noted that these organizations paid the bail for these people based solely on the fact that they were low-income, not knowing the people on a personal level and not knowing each of their unique backgrounds, crimes, and living situations. Bail is often posted by friends and family, people who have more of a grasp on the situation. It was said that taking away that personal element could invite horrible consequences. Mike Milton, the manager of the Bail Project St. Louis chapter, issued the following statement himself. We're deeply saddened by this tragedy. Many of us and our close relations have lost family members to violence, and we are heartbroken that this has happened to yet another member of the St. Louis community. Our deepest condolences and sympathies go to Marcia Johnson's family. Moments like this are devastating and a symptom of St. Louis's failure to address the underlying issues. It's important to remember that bail didn't cause this tragedy. Mr. Scott, a 54-year-old father of eight, was charged with a low-level misdemeanor and if he'd just been wealthy enough to afford his bail or bonded out by a commercial bail bond agency, he would have been free as well. We provided bail assistance based on the fact that the court had deemed him eligible for release before trial. No one could have predicted this tragedy. In times like this, we must come together for Marcia's family and also keep sight of the injustices of incarcerating poor people before trial and the need to invest in community-based services that can support St. Louisians during times of crisis the state of missouri weighed in on the whole situation saying that they did attempt to notify marcia of scott's release from jail however they didn't make direct contact and it was uncertain whether she ever received the message especially given that it was only 45 minutes between the release and the beating it's fairly likely she had no idea he was even released from jail that night it wasn't too long before scott's case made it to court scott didn't speak out much during the trial not testifying in the end To put it lightly, things weren't going to go well for him. If the prosecutors didn't aim for a death sentence, Scott would be facing a mandatory term of life in prison for the charge of first-degree murder. The assistant circuit attorney, Jeremy Crowley, told the jurors of the court that Scott was simply following through on his previous clear threats to his wife in which he stated that he would end her life if she ever went to the police or tried to leave him. He had specifically told her that he would finish what he started if she went to the police, and that had come to happen in reality. Crowley said that Scott must have been acting out of anger because, quote, She did something that he told her not to do. Don't leave. Don't go to the police. That's what she did. That's when he decided he was going to kill her. When he got served with that order of protection, that was it. That was the last straw. Scott had apparently told a detective that two people are now gone at one time, acknowledging that he threw away his life to do this. His defense lawyer, Matthew Mahaffey, told the court that Scott had simply snapped when he killed his wife. He was unable to deny that Scott had been the one to kill her, as he had admitted to hitting her himself, so he instead tried to paint the incident as an emotionally driven crime of passion. He was acknowledging a new painful and overwhelming reality that comes only from knowing that you have irreversibly harmed someone that you love, Mahaffey told the court. You do not have to like Samuel Scott. Heavens no, I'm not asking you to condone what he did. The law isn't either. But this is not a murder in the first degree. It is what it means to snap. It's as far from cool reflection as you can get. Passion, free from reason, is what this was. Crowley, though, shifting the focus more to the victim, later said, This is the nightmare domestic violence situation. The victim tries to get away, she tries to get an order of protection, she tries to be safe, and those actions cause the defendant to lash out. During all of this turmoil, the St. Louis chapter of the Bail Project was closed in September of 2021 after operating for roughly about four years. They cited their reasoning for closing as being that the use of cash bail was declining, but it's fairly likely that bad press was a factor in some capacity. Time passed up until April of 2022. This was when Samuel Lee Scott finally faced the consequences of his crimes and was convicted of premeditated murder. The jurors only deliberated for about three and a half hours before finding Scott guilty of first-degree murder, domestic assault, and violating the protection order against him. Scott reacted with no emotion when the verdict was read. It seemed that he had already resigned to his fate. He knew very well that he wasn't getting bailed out of this one. Scott's sentencing has not yet been set, but the only option he could be facing is life in prison at this point. While Scott's story was over, the doubts that he created for the Bail Project and similar organizations hadn't died out. In fact, many more incidents have occurred that have damaged public opinion of the organization and created doubts as to whether or not the organization is even beneficial. Of course, many people have indeed been placed in jail for questionable reasons and have been unable to post bail, such as the man in this interview. He was a homeless man who was thrown in jail after he was riding in a car with an acquaintance who was caught with a small amount of drugs in his pocket. He swears that, without the bail project, he would probably still be in jail awaiting a trial. I lost my car and, uh, just my life. What do you think would have happened if they didn't come along? Didn't tell you how long I would have been in there. I appreciate them very much. While cases like this one do exist, it's hard to ignore the impact that the more negative consequences have had on the public conscience. Samuel Lee Scott was not the only man to commit more horrible crimes shortly after the organization had posted his bail. Another man named Marcus Garvin had his bail posted by the organization after he stabbed a gas station customer. Upon his release, he went on to murder his girlfriend shortly after. Christopher Stewart was a criminal who was caught illegally possessing a handgun after threatening to kill his ex-girlfriend. The organization posted his $5,000 bail and, just one month later, he attempted to go through on his threats to his ex-girlfriend by setting her apartment on fire. Luckily, she survived. The Indianapolis chapter was hit particularly hard with several notable cases. One of these cases was that of Travis Lang, a 23-year-old man who was in jail on drug charges when the bail project bailed him out. Not too long after, he was arrested for murder. Another one of the Indianapolis criminals was a man named Deonta Williams. He was originally in jail on felony burglary charges, but, as you can expect by this point, his bail was posted by the Bail Project. Afterwards, he went on to place a fake call to the police in order to lure them to his location, only to stab two police officers in a highly publicized incident that was recorded from several different angles by police body cams. He is now back in jail on a much larger $75,000 bond on charges of attempted murder. Afterwards, the Marion County Superior Court suspended its support of the bail project in the area just three years after the operations began. The Las Vegas chapter suffered a similar fate after their support of a guy named Rashawn Gaston Anderson, a serial criminal who had been in and out of jail for burglary and theft. After his $3,000 bail was posted, it didn't even take a week for him to wind up back in jail after shooting a waiter, Chung Yun Wang, 11 times. Luckily, Wang survived the attack and sued the bail project for their lack of due diligence. A while after, the Las Vegas chapter was closed. At this point in time, many other cities throughout the U.S. are debating on severing their ties with the organization as well. The Bail Project claims, though, that these reoffenders actually make up a very small percentage of the people they bail out in the end. The Bail Project defended their decision to bail out Samuel Lee Scott, saying that the Order of Protection was placed after they had already posted his bail and that they had no knowledge of it. However, it was specifically this lack of knowledge that made people question their decision-making process. It was felt that their vetting process was weak, admittedly having very little knowledge of the circumstances surrounding the criminals that they released from jail. However, the project has done their best to defend the process from criticism, saying, We believe that paying bail for someone in need is an act of resistance against a system that criminalizes race and poverty, and an act of solidarity with local communities and movements for decarceration. Bail is not necessary to ensure people return to court. We won't stop until meaningful change is achieved and the presumption of innocence is no longer for sale. Many journalists place the blame elsewhere, such as on the judge, Kalia Stovall-Reed, who set Samuel's bail at a low $5,000 figure despite what he had done. Others blame the circuit attorney for initially charging Scott with the lowest form of domestic abuse crime, a mere misdemeanor, one that carried the same penalty as shoplifting. It's likely that several lapses in judgment played a part in Scott being released from jail and, in turn, Marcia being murdered. Many have argued that, when a suspect like Scott is determined by the courts to pose a risk to society, they shouldn't be allowed bail before trial in the first place. However, this happens time and time again. There are a wide variety of opinions as to why this continues to happen, and it's likely that it will continue to happen unless there's some sort of wide overhaul of the justice system which seems unlikely. Samuel Lee Scott continues to languish in jail and likely will never see freedom again. The Bail Project continues to operate throughout many cities throughout the United States.